Uh, welcome, everybody. Welcome back to 1022. This is Ben. And this is Will. And we're back in the podcast studio. Uh, thank you for sticking with us if you listened through the first podcast. Uh, today we have some interesting stuff to talk about. It's our second week of class. We'll introduce the class uh, to Vedic uh, tradition in Hinduism. And today we talked about the Upanishads. And I actually wanted to start off with a question because I don't know about you guys, but if you watched that film, Altar of Fire, um, and you didn't fall asleep halfway through, uh, maybe you didn't actually watch it. So, Will, what, why, why did you have us watch that movie again? Well, so we're learning about ancient India in modern New Zealand. And I think it's very difficult uh, if students have never been to India, uh, have never been anywhere like India, to get a sense of what Hinduism... Because if you go to India, it's overwhelming, right? It's in all your senses all the time. It's always turned up to 11. Um, And it's always boring. It always goes on much longer than you want it to go on, right? You wait longer for a train, uh, everything. So, I, I mean... As much as as anything, it was to get a sense of what Vedism or Vedic Hinduism might have looked and mm. sounded uh, like, and, and and yeah, it's 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 tedious. It's it's a large scale tradition, but I think that was a really interesting uh, moment. What I'm not expecting is that people memorize every bit of what happened in the video, um, what all those priests are and all their roles were. I think one of the other things that's interesting about the video is the debate that they had about sacrificing goats mm-hmm. um, and that they came up with a substitute. And that's something that we're going to see again and again in Hinduism, that one thing stands in for another thing. Um, and one practice becomes another practice. Mm. Uh, and that's characteristic of Hinduism almost as early as, as we Well, that, that's we characteristic of all religions, right? That when religions change, often they, they don't say, hey, we're changing now. They do so under the sign of conservation. They're saying, hey, you guys weren't interpreting this right. Here's the right interpretation. Uh, or this is actually symbol, symbolic for this. And that becomes a license for them to change. That's true. Um, and, yeah, going back, saying we're going back to the way it was originally, it's been, you know, we went wrong somewhere down the line is absolutely true. But I think what's different about Hinduism is if, say, you take, you know, the history of Christianity, when the Reformation comes along, uh, Martin Luther starts denouncing a lot of practices that have come into the Catholic Church. And, yes, you're right, he says we're going back to the original. But he does also denounce those other practices. What's missing in Hinduism, or maybe not entirely missing, but very much muted, is that denunciation. Yeah. Um, it's it's more of a kind of relegation of saying this takes this is only takes you so far. That's right. Um, but Luther denouncing you know the selling of um, uh, indulgences, indulgences. Yeah. Uh, the doctrine of purgatory, all that stuff, for him is not just a lower knowledge. It's completely wrong. Right. It should never have happened. You've got to get rid of it entirely. So yeah, yeah. That, that's oh. where I think there's a difference of emphasis. But I would agree with you. Yeah. As a generality. Yeah. But, you know what I took away from what you just said about the video is interesting though. So that, and that's something I think. You're trying to do something with the video that we're trying to do in almost every class, which is to introduce you to kind of content. That is, like, this is what a Vedic sacrifice might have looked like, but also to give you some feeling of what a Vedic sacrifice might have been like, mm-hmm. which is not just when they light the thing on fire and the climactic, you know, um, ign- ignition of the of the of the sacrificial bonfire, but it's all the little parts that lead up to it. It's the but time. it's 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 also not particularly kind of pious or spiritual no. right yeah it's business yeah you, you you make the sacrifice you get the result yeah. you just got to do it properly you don't have to yeah. be like pious and happy and yeah. uh, in the right frame of mind you just got to say the words right you got to do the actions right yeah. so and and that i think is actually a, a characteristic of, of 
I would observe of, of even Hindu temple worship today. It's totally yeah. different. But the attitude in which it's done, it's not casual. That's that's the wrong word. But it it isn't this kind of um, I don't know sanctimonious or you know. Well, well, the contrast here is like some kind of Christian Protestant service where what matters is. Is, is your feeling. kind of intention and your yeah. faith and what's in your heart and all the rest of it. That what matters in Vedic sacrifice is, did you pronounce the mantras correctly? Did you measure everything correctly? And mm-hmm. if you do that wrong, no matter how good your intentions, eh, a sacrifice doesn't work. So really, when we're talking about karma or action, it's like literally the things that you do and not so much what's going on in your head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's right, too. Yeah. Um, you know, I think another thing that that raises, though, that the, the, the video and the, and the these are not your words, uh, you know, potential tediousness of the, of the, of the, uh, of the video is just this thing that's actually come up in class. And, and, and after class today, um, a couple of the students came up and they said, look, you know, we're just having a little trouble with, you know, squaring up all the details we're getting with the big picture. And actually, can you just give us a suggestion for uh, introduction to Hinduism or Buddhism that could help, help us situate this in a larger frame. And that's something we will do on Blackboard. But you look like you're itching to say something about this. <laughs> so this is, this is a debate uh, for many years. Uh, the first reading that I had uh, for the section on Hinduism was a single chapter from a, a reference work that gave an overview of the entire tradition. Uh, and it was long, uh, and a lot of students complained that it was too long. And Ben has been at me for years to get rid of it. And this year I got rid of it. And then thank you so much to those of you who came after the lecture and said, what we need is one of the... Now, we'll post a particular chapter. It's, it's, it's a chapter by a guy called Simon Waitman. But I want to say that, that any kind of overview, there's lots and lots of short overviews of Hinduism that, that you can find. So we'll post a link to that one. Um, but... Y- there are many of them. I mean, a very short introduction to Hinduism uh, by Kim Knott is, is actually a book, but it's probably not even as long as that article. Uh, it's a small book in big font. Um, and, yeah, it can be helpful to get a, a picture as a kind of map of the whole, and then you know that you know wh- where the parts fit in. But there there is this kind of uh, problem that you can't understand the whole until you understand all the parts, but you don't understand the parts until you see where they fit in the whole um, and the only way to kind of break that vicious circle is just to, to, to dive in somewhere and okay. learn some of it. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you, Ben. I think an overview of the tradition <laughs> would be excellent at the beginning. But it's probably for those who are keen. Um, and uh, demanding that every student read it was probably uh, a lot. Um, I'm going to say something else. Um, as we've, we've said, Ben and I are, uh, have changed the format of the course this year. Um, and this has been a... Uh, a debate, and having claimed my win on that article, uh, I'm going to concede one to Ben, is that I always steered away from the Upanishads. I gave a very brief summary of the Upanishads, but we didn't go too deep because I thought it would just be too weird and too difficult. And and, and, and that Will's head might explode from all the deep thoughts. Yeah, this is a common idea in the Upanishads that if you don't get something, if you ask too many questions, your head will shatter apart. This was repeated again and again. Uh, but on this one, I'm going to give it to you, Ben. Uh, I think people were, the students were engaged. I think even if they were puzzled, um, uh, it's intrigued them in a way that hopefully will lead to further understanding. So, yeah. For, for those of you who weren't there, by the way, at one stage, I was lying on the ground um, with my <laughs> knees at my chest, and Will put up a slide that demonstrated that the pose I was demonstrating unwittingly for you was the uh, farting fart, pose. Fart passing pose <laughs> to help the students learn the word uh, moksha. 
So it's up. To, I'm not sure exactly what he was trying to do there, other than embarrass me. But it, it seemed to work. Mostly trying to embarrass you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the the trouble is, I'll I'll probably do that next year because I think the students enjoyed it. But I will never enjoy it as much again because Ben will no. know what's coming next year. <laughs> Moksha, by the way, means liberation, doesn't it? Will it means release, release, release of like release of the gas. Yeah. Um. You know, what, one other thing, reason, one of the reasons that we wanted to put that I wanted to put the Upanishads back in, besides giving Will a chance to humiliate me publicly, is that the Upanishads are a lot like Buddhism. A lot of the philosophies you see there are, I mean, they're not the same as Buddhism, but they're like adjacent to Buddhism in a lot of ways. And and one thing we talked about in class today was, you know, to what extent is the idea that you're, um, you know, coextensive with the universe, kind of the same idea or the, the flip side of the idea that we find in Buddhism, that actually there is no essential self and all there is is sort of, the, the karmic residue that, that composes what you sense as a self. I mean, in a way, it's a kind of very similar principle. And, and one of the ideas that we're, we're, we wanted to get across to you is that actually Hinduism and Buddhism, although we think of them as different traditions, they grow up together at the same time and they really influence each other. So the, the way we have it structured this year, we're going to do a little Hinduism, we're going to jump into Buddhism, and you're going to be able to see how that works. But, you know, it's very clear to us from the text, when you look at texts from this period in time, right, the sort of... Uh, roughly the third, you know, fourth century BCE to about the second or third century BCE, these ideas are growing up in conversation and together. And when you when we come to look at the Buddhist text, you'll see that the Buddhist texts describe the Buddha basically preaching his doctrine to Brahmins, to Vedic priests, to sadhus, these Upanishadic type, uh, you know, practitioners. And you know, although it's nice to think of them as separate traditions, they're really in conversation. Yeah, I think that's. I think it's great. Um, we've had <coughs> another long-running debate. I mean, because bits of Hinduism, the Vedas, clearly predate the Buddha. There's this idea that Hinduism came first and Buddhism came later. So you need to understand Hinduism, and then you understand how the Buddha is reacting against Hinduism. But in fact, much of what we're going to spend the rest of the course looking at comes after the time comes of after the Buddha. Buddha. Yeah. Um, after the Upanishads, we have this turn towards traditions of devotion to individual gods, Rama, Krishna, yep. Shiva, and that is the lifeblood of Hinduism. Yep. Uh, the ideas, reincarnation, rebirth, uh, uh, liberation, so on are there, but really in terms of practice, after this point, it really becomes that, that turn away, and all of that is post-Buddhist, mm. which is why I used to protest that I had to do all that before Ben started Buddhism, <laughs> uh, when in fact, because Buddhism... Uh, I mean, in the Upanishads, we're talking about a contest of ideas, and there are multiple figures in Hinduism promoting ideas. Yajnavalkya is, is one of them. But Ben is going to fasten on Buddhism, which it's a rich tradition. There's lots of ideas in it, but it is basically one position. Yeah. Um, and in that sense, this is a sort of note of hope for some of you struggling with this stuff. It's kind of easier to understand because there is just one clearly worked out position, which probably owes itself to a single historical individual. That's right. Although I think you could make an argument that the Buddha also is a literary figure or becomes a literary figure in much the same way as Yajnavalka did, right. yep. especially if you include all of the later stuff that's attributed to the Buddha, which yep. we generally don't cover in this course right? Um, for the sake of simplicity. But Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So when we're thinking about Hinduism, we're really talking about, even at this early phase, a collection of different groups that don't necessarily think of themselves as following a single figure. or pra- They certainly wouldn't describe themselves as practicing a single religion. When you get to Buddhism, which is evolving around the same time, 
it, you know, what we're going to be talking about is people who are the followers of a single person who claim to be followers of this person and claim to be doing the same thing. So in a way, we're sort of comparing apples and oranges, if you like. I mean, we could do a similar kind of comparison and say, we're just going to fo- follow one guru within the so-called Hindu tradition and compare them to all these other things, and we would still find differences. So it's, a not, it's not a fair comparison in some ways. So what you're saying, Ben, is that I have a much harder job than you. <laughs> I reluctantly would say that, yes. Yeah. Well, maybe one year I'll teach Buddhism and you can that teach would be, Hinduism. That would be wild. That would be fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I, I know you want to talk about this, this timeline thing that you're proposing. Well, I'm, I'm proposing, I'm going to propose it to Cam that in the tutorials, I think one way to get your head around what's, where we're going, what the big picture is, is to start trying to make for yourself a kind of matrix. And in the, uh, in the horizontal rows of that matrix, I would include things like the date and the period. When is this stuff happening? Uh, what's the key text that we're talking about? What are the key exemplars? And Will has a great a key exemplar for every you know, movement in Hinduism. What are the key ideas and practices of that movement? And what are the key terms? And, and, and by the movements, I really mean the three margas that he's talking about. So during the Ved, for the Vedas, like, what's the period we're talking about? Well, 17, sort of 1500 BC to 500 BC, roughly. What's the, what are the key texts? Well, the Vedas, and particularly the Rig Veda, which is the earliest Veda. What are the key exemplars? Well, the, the Vedic man who he sort of said lives in St. Clair and is married and has sons, etc. You know, but it's a particular kind of person that's going to be sponsoring Vedic sacrifices. I would also put as the key exemplars, the priests who are doing these, the Brahmin priests. Um, what are the key ideas and practices? Well, ideas around the sacrifice, particularly. What are the key terms? Well, there's a lot um, uh, that we, and, and you'll find those terms in the study units uh, for each of the topics that we have on our Blackboard site. You'll also find those key terms in our course outline but you know for example what would be some key terms well i was i mean the the best example is karma right yeah because karma karma means one thing in the vedic tradition in the vedic in the vedic samhitas in the rig veda right action but the same term is then used again in the upanishads but now it has that added sense so you can the, the term can crop up in more than more than one of your columns um but they get reinterpreted and or new shades of meaning are added uh, to them, so and that's yeah. how you really assimilate information is through contrast like that. So you know, do do that kind of thing, and I think you're going to be in good hands. I'm worried about the time. We've, this is long now. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, I'm going to try and stop it before you start beatboxing. No, I'm going to go. Here's the outro beatbox. <laughs>